You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. A lot of, a lot of uh, Christmas announcements, I feel like Annette has a real bounce in her step during the holiday season. Um, if what's going on inside of Net, Annette is half is what's going on on her Christmas tree. There's a lot going on in there. I don't know if you've ever seen Annette's Christmas trees, I believe plural, but there's, there's a lot of, a lot of ornaments, a lot of party in there. So thank you, Annette. Uh, good morning, Canby Foursquare. It's good to be with you. Hey, before we jump into our confidence series and we have, um, we had a string of announcements there. Uh, I just want to take it, take some time to pray into a tragedy that I'm sure many of you heard over the weekend that a young man, um, Matthew Dewar, on uh, Friday morning was traveling and he was traveling to school and had his little brothers in the back and he was uh, struck by incoming traffic and somebody was passing and overtook the car and then hit them head on and Matthew Dewar has gone home to be with the Lord and the Dewar family is a family that's well known in our community Um, they've blessed a ton of people tons of churches tons of community and they are deeply grieving right now and as a community and as a church we will uh, join in pray for them right now and uh, cover them with our love and our blessing and and uh, in the midst of that there was also an, another student that made a mistake and um, and there's another family this morning that made that same mistake and we're going to pray for that family and we are going to cover this situation in prayer and to be with those right now um, those who caused an accident um, ac- accidentally and for those who um, this week are going into Thanksgiving having lost a son so we're going to pray collectively as a church uh, right now Jesus in these times it doesn't uh, words don't seem like enough Prayer doesn't seem like enough. I think just at a human level, I mean, we, we don't have to go to the same churches. We don't have to be part of the same groups and know the same people. We can just we can imagine the pain that a family's going through, Lord, as we lead into Thanksgiving. And we, yeah, some of us in here, we've lost this year, and this will be the first Thanksgiving, first holiday season, having lost somebody and somebody that should be at that Thanksgiving table. Lord, our hearts go out and we pray your grace would cover the dear family. We pray that you would cover and protect the family that um, that one of their kids did something wrong, accidentally drove wrongly and uh, the pain that they must be going through right now and that we realize that your grace is big enough for both sides. 
Jesus, we ask for your grace right now that you would cover these families as a community, as a community of candy. Our hearts mourn with the families involved. Lord, I just pray that for your comfort, and right now you would be a comfort to the families involved. Lord, we love you and we trust you even here, even now, in your good name, Jesus. Amen. All right, Canby Foursquare, we, um, we come to Scripture week in and week out. We open up God's Word, not just that we would read it, but that, that Scripture begins to read us, that when, when we lead with announcements like what I just had to give you this morning, we, we come to know God, we come to open up God's word, and, and, and we don't, we don't want to just study this because this is our, our ritual on Sunday mornings, but we come to this and we say, God, evaluate our hearts, shape us, make us more like you, because what this does is when tragedy does hit, when tragedy does strike, in those highs and lows of life, this is what we stand on. This is when we, we go above and we, we know who God is and we know what he's like. This is the purpose of us gathering together collectively and, and being, being confident. Being confident, as our theme would say. And, and what are we confident in? Are we confident in our good works? Are we confident in our good knowledge? Are we confident that we are going to manufacture life to work out just perfectly? No. We are confident in who Jesus Christ says he is. We are confident in what the word speaks to us. We are confident in the, in the word reading us week in and week out. And this morning, we are jumping into Philippians chapter 3. And we're going we're gonna to wrap up Philippians chapter 3. And we'll uh, complete the series throughout uh, the rest of December. we got... Amazing line. We got Pastor Ron and Pastor Ryan that's going to finish off our series and take us into the into the new year for the rest of the series. And um, my my four week stint is over. And I will just tell you, uh, one of the biggest tricks as a pastor for me to you church is coming up with four different outfits and <laughs> week in and week out. Going surely they're going to realize I wore that same shirt. They're going to realize that three weeks ago I wore that blue checkered shirt. The next week I wore the sweater. And so the fourth week I put them all together. And it tricks you. And that, it is a tall order. It is a tall order. Uh, which, and now I call my clothes outfits now that I'm a pastor. Um, but what we're going to do today is we're going to look at uh, verses 12 through 22, primarily 12 through 16, and we're going to look in chapter 3 of Philippians. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to give us a metaphor. He's going to give this metaphor. Paul loves to use sporting metaphors. Again, remember, Paul is Jewish, and he's also a Roman citizen. He's very well aware of the Roman games and the Colosseum and uh, the, the Olympic-type games. And, and one of Paul's favorite metaphors is sporting metaphors. He uses this in First Corinthians, he talks about uh, running a race and not running in vain. He talks about not just a, a boxer that trains boxing the wind aimlessly, but is focused on his opponent. And this morning, he's going to continue that theme of 
metaphors in, in running a race, of racing. If in verse 12, you probably see in your title, it says straining towards the goal, or what I'll say, straining towards God. And uh, this makes me uncomfortable to talk to you today about running, because I'm not much of a runner. Uh, obviously, I have run. I have run. I, I have ran. I can technically run, uh, but I would not call myself a runner by any means. Being a shorter Mexican man, uh, running's not our thing. <laughs> For, you know, I, some of my earliest memories, my brother-in-law's here, and he's tall and lanky and the buff-like guy, and for, I, I remember running with him, and, and I remember trying to keep up with him around a lake in Montana. And for, like, every one of his, like, gazelle-like steps, it was just like my little Mario Lake. <laughs> and it's just running is not my jam. That's not what I am gifted at. I remember I had a friend a few years back when we lived in Cambodia, and they said, Mark, what you need to do is you need to train for a race. If you started training for a race, you would love running. Fair play, good logic. So there's a big race that happens. People come from all over the world to Cambodia. Uh, Cambodia has the world's largest ancient ruins, one of the seven wonders of the world, Angkor Wat. And people come from around the world to run this half marathon. And so I said, I'm going to sign up to run this. That's what I need, and then I'll get hooked on running. Well, I train uh, week in, week out, and living in a third world country, it's full of dust and heat and I mean, just to train, you'd have to get up before the sun came up. You'd have to be running. There's dogs chasing you. In fact, one time I was running from a dog early morning because the dogs are gross, sick animals. Uh, they're not like your labradoodle that you have at home. And this thing comes running at me in this pothole, just eats my leg two weeks out of the race. And uh, I was hoping that it was going to be an excuse to get out of the race, but I didn't. I, I continued, and I, I ran this race. And I will tell you, after running this race, completing this half marathon, I remember finishing the race, taking off my shoes, and not touching them for years. <laughs> Many years. It didn't work. I wasn't hooked. There was nothing about it that I was like, man, I love that. I'm addicted to running. No, it only solidified what I already knew about running. <laughs> I'm not a good runner. So, but one thing I do, I look back on that process. I look back that there was, there was something in the process of running. There was something in the process. There was something about aiming. And it wasn't, it wasn't just that I would go out and run, but I was, I was aiming for something. I wanted to complete something. My, 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 my stride, my run, I was thinking about breathing. Everything became intentional. And today, as we go into the text, Paul is going, he's going to tell us, live your life. Jesus being intentional. He's going to say, set goals. He's going to say, it's not just that we're aimless in our pursuit with Jesus. We're not just aimless as if it's just going to happen. It's not just aimless as if our faith is going to grow. We're not just aimless that we will just know God and be so satisfied in him and it just happens to us, but that we're, we're aiming towards making Christ our own. And so with this metaphor, Paul is going to talk to us this morning to think about our relationship in light of running a race. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, and again, I don't 
you know, physical Bible is nice. We'll have it up on the screen. Um, I think I told you before that an old mentor of mine, he said, Mark, I know you pound people about having physical Bibles, but he said, I'm convinced that it's more holy to have a digital Bible because the Bible's on scrolls. You're welcome. You're welcome. The nine o'clock didn't get that joke. You got it. You're welcome. So chapter three, verses 12 and following. Let's read together. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind, straining, straining toward what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that, all, that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. And now Paul's going to talk about the false teachers that we talked about last week. Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen's right, yeah. You might not get anything else out of the sermon, but you got the Bible. You're welcome. So we, as we go into our, our race today, I want you to be thinking about what Paul is talking about in light of a race, as in light of training, of what's progress look like, what's a finish line look like. Now, Paul, the first thing that Paul's going to do, he's going to address three areas here that we'll look at this morning for our passage. One, Paul, he's going to say, He's never satisfied. Paul is never satisfied in his relationship with the Lord. It isn't something that just, you know, I'm good. I've had enough beatings. I've been beat up enough. I've led enough people to the Lord. He's not satisfied. And second, he's, he's forward focused. He's forward focused. That, that's not, not getting caught up in his past, but being focused on his future. Where, where he's been is, is one area of his life, but where he is now and where he is going. And lastly, it's a different mindset. I think anybody that has ever trained for something, how many people in here have trained for a sporting event, a, a big hike, a, a football game, a race? Yeah, we got a lot of people that have trained in here. And, and when you train for something, there's a mindset. There's a mindset shift where we're not, we don't just leisurely go walk if we're being intentional about climbing a mountain. We, we throw some weight in a backpack. We're intentional about uh, going uphill, unlike me that always tries to go downhill or flat surfaces. But it, there's, there's a mindset shift. So when we go into verse 12, Paul, he says, not 
that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. What Paul is referencing last week in verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them all as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, to be found in him, not having my own righteousness that comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul, he's referencing. I haven't already obtained the resurrection. I haven't already attained this perfection, but I continue to be pursued by Jesus. And what moves me, Paul, he says here, the, the one thing, the one thing that moves me is that Christ has made me his own. That Paul, he is compelled and he is not satisfied with where he's at. He's not satisfied of just a faith that grows stagnant. He's not just satisfied with a faith that doesn't have a target. It's like children, right? When we, for those of us that have children, we, we try to raise our children up in a direction. Some, maybe we push it too hard. But other ways, we, we try to, you, if you want your kids to have manners, then you shape your kids to say please and thank you. You shape your kids to say yes ma'am, yes sir. You, you teach your kids, if you want your kids to love books, what do you do? You read to them. You, there's, there's, it doesn't just happen. Your kids don't just go, hey, I'd love to have, you know, I'd love to not have screen time and read a novel. <laughs> like, y- the kids are shaped, and it's similar to our relationship, that it's shaped. It isn't just aimless. And so Paul, he tells us that I'm, I'm never, never satisfied. That it's not something that I, I, I'm aimless at, that I'm striving towards something. I think about, there's a, there's a great story that I heard once and almost didn't think it was uh, believable in a, in a sermon. And it's a, it's a ser- it was a, a runner named Cliff Young. Anybody know of Cliff Young? Anybody that grew up in the 70s or 80s? Of course we don't because he's an Australian. Uh, trick question. But Cliff Young is an interesting cat that I think illustrates this point of not being satisfied or striving towards a goal. Cliff Young is a 61-year-old potato farmer. And he was a 61-year-old potato farmer, wasn't married, grew up herding sheep and cattle, and he always wanted to run a race. So he just thought, oh man, I'm always out here in the fields, and I'm always running in, in rubber boots and bib overalls, and I do it sometimes for days at a time, I would love to do a big race. And so what happens is there's been this historical race that's happened from 1983 to 1991 in Australia, and it goes from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, or Melbourne, mate. Uh, and, and it's 544 miles. It's known as the hardest marathon in the world. It's an ultra marathon that thousands of people would come from around the world, uh, usually in peak performance in their 30s, and run this race. Well, what uh, captured the country of Australia was a 61-year-old potato farmer showed up in his boots, his bib overalls, and he said, I want to run a race. And what happened is now Cliff Young, there's known as the Cliff Young Shuffle, where it wasn't a regular stride, but he would just 
which makes me feel way better about myself. It kind of makes me feel like a runner. And, and he'd have these small shuffles. And Cliff showed up, and what became the running joke was, would he die by the end of the race? That was the question, and that was what the media was talking about. Will this guy even make it to the end of the race? Well, Cliff didn't just make it. Cliff won the race. 61 years old, 544 miles. And Cliff won the race, not just barely getting over the line. The number two person in the race was nine hours behind him. Cliff broke the record by a day and a half. And what's fascinating about it, and what I think compels us to our text today, is Cliff, when interviewed, he wasn't running the same race as everyone else. Cliff didn't run like everyone else. Cliff had a low-impact shuffle that allowed for him to move, and there was very little impact on his body. That Cliff didn't know that there was already this strategy that you're supposed to run for 18 hours and rest for six and sleep for six. What, what Cliff did is he just kept running. And when he was asked about it, he said, well, when I was a boy, I would stay up for three days running for sheep up and down hills. So I just thought, two more days. Two more days of staying awake. So he would sleep for minutes at a time. And when he was asked, what is it that's driving you? How did you stay awake? How did you keep running? He goes, this is a quote. When asked what keeps you going, he goes, easy. I just thought about when I was a young man and a child chasing sheep as a kid. And I just chased sheep. This is what compelled a man to break the record by nearly a day and a half. What's interesting about Cliff is Cliff didn't run the same race as everyone else. Cliff had a goal. Cliff lived on $2,000 a year, and he already had enough money for that year. He had a goal to win that prize of $10,000, and at the end of it, getting $10,000, five times more than his annual income, he gave every penny away to other runners that he met along the line. That, Paul, that, that, that Cliff's goal was different than everyone else's. He wasn't, he wasn't aimless. He was striving towards something. And, and this ministers to our hearts today because we realize we don't run the same race as everyone else. We don't just fit in. We don't have to just run what everybody else is running. We don't have to chase the same things that everybody else is chasing after. But the Lord has put it on our hearts that, that not only that we would make him our own, that he made us his own, but the, we would make him our own, that he would become central in every part of our life. And Paul is going to compel us to not be aimless. He goes on. But in, in verse, thir- uh, verse 12, part B, but I press on to make it my own, my, my relationship to Christ, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what lies ahead. You can hear, you can hear the angst in Paul's voice. You can hear that Paul, that he's talking about this, this pressing on, that, he's, that, that, that it's urgent and that he presses on and he's straining towards. And the word press, which is interesting, earlier in verse 6 it says, Uh, In chapter 3, a zeal to persecute the church. Paul talks about his old 
zeal, his old passion to persecute the church. And it's the same word, press. I, I used to press the church. I used to persecute the church. And what Paul's trying to draw our attention to, the things that my old life, when I was dead in my sin, the old things that used to motivate me, I've taken that energy and I've put it towards my life with Christ. Going through this and studying this, like I said, you know, regularly the, the work of a preacher is just to dig, dig deep into that well, the treasure of the word and then bring it out and give it to the church that's the that's the role of a preacher that we dig deep into the word and we go this is what the lord's doing in me and this is what i offer to you as a gift that maybe the lord would do the same and i was really taken back by this particular word press that i think there's a lot of things that i used to put a lot more energy into that i would stay focused on i think even to the point of uh, the, the language that Paul would use, so many of us will we'll diet, we'll go to the gym, we'll put so much energy, we'll, we'll focus on that, but then do we put our same energy towards, towards our relationship to the Lord? I think about, man, it, it does nothing for me to plow through six hours a week on YouTube. Do I, do I plow through six hours a week in my word? Do I open up the word? I, I, I can talk and text for hours a day. Do I ever put that down to talk to the Lord? Like this, the same energy Paul is saying, look, I used to press. I persecuted the church. This is where I used to focus my energy. And it, didn't, it, it just didn't end. I didn't just lose my energy. But now it's pressed towards doing the work of the Lord. Paul says, forgetting, forgetting what lies behind me. Brings us to our next point. Paul, remember last week, Paul, he, he, he says, I forget what lies behind me. And in verse uh, 5 through 6, he, he gives this, this list. I mean, we get, we get a pretty itemized list of who Paul used to be. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day, a people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, as to the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's, like, these are, these, these might not seem cool to us. These are highly impressive stats in the first century. These are highly impressive stats. Paul's saying, at status, I was the highest. At status, there was nobody higher than me. As far as financially, I was well off. As far as passion and zeal, unmatched. And that has been channeled towards kingdom work. That has been channeled towards what the Lord is doing. That's been channeled to, to my focus and my relationship to God. That's been channeled to the kingdom. It wasn't just done, forgetting what lies behind. See, Paul has a mixed bag. Paul has to forget the stuff behind him, the good stuff. But also remember what we talked about last week. Paul was there for the stoning of Stephen. Paul was also the one that was hot on the heels of church as Christians as they dispersed. Paul was there as he was persecuting and killing Christians. Paul was the most feared for any Christian. We would not want Paul in this sanctuary right now in the first century. He was the one where everybody came and laid down their coats at the feet of Saul, and he approved the first martyr of the Christian faith, Stephen. 
Saul, then Saul, now Paul, he, he wasn't just forgetting all of his good stuff, but he's also forgetting the stuff that hindered him, the stuff that kept him up at night, the stuff that embarrassed him, the stuff that, from his past that hurt. Now the Bible, we have this tension, and this is why we are students of the Bible, because we can come to passages like this and go, hey, we're forgetting what lies behind us. But in other passages, Pastor Mark, doesn't it say to remember? After all, like the Israelites, right? That was the call for the Israelites. But why, why would we forget everything? Aren't we supposed to remember? Remember God brought you out of slavery? Remember God saved you? Remember crossing the Red Sea completely dry? Remember uh, bread for 40 years? Remember it just kind of floated out of the sky? Remember how you were enslaved? What about, what about Ephesians, Pastor Mark, where it says, Therefore, remember you were separated from Christ. You were once far off, and now you have been grafted in. Luke chapter 7, he, uh, to him, to much who's been forgiven, he who loves, who's been forgiven much, loves much. Remember that you were set free from your sin. There's, there's plenty of passages that we can think back and go, aren't we supposed to remember? And here's what we do, church. This is what we do with this. This is how we move forward with, with forgetting. There are some of you here today, there are some of you here that we can, we can hold on to our past. A bit like all Paul's stats. I used to be this. I was a, a D1 athlete. I made so much money, and I was so awesome for the kingdom. And, you know, Jesus is just lucky that I, I'm on his team. And it's like, dude, let it go. Let it go, bro. We're, we're still not in high school. So let go of all your past. You're lucky to be on Jesus' team, not the other way around. We can, we can hold on to that. We can hold on to all of our accomplishments. But there's another side. What, if our, what about our past shame? What about our, our sin or, or things that have happened to us that hold us back? What about those things where just, Pastor Mark, it's just, it's too deep. This hurt too much. That person hurt me. That person violated me. The, the, the stain and the grip, it's paralyzing. And Jesus wants to step in and heal that. Jesus wants to heal you in that pain because there's no past pain that Jesus can't heal. And, and our, our past, they can hinder us both ways. We can be really proud about our past and testimonies sound much more like a, a bragamony, uh, a past the past highlight reels of how awesome we were, and now we come to know Christ, and I drive a minivan and wear a cardigan sweater. <laughs> or our past, or our past can be one of those things that stunt our growth. And I want, I would, if you're in that camp, church, I want you to know that you're not just the sum total of your past. You're not the sum total of all the stuff that's happened to you and that Christ is moving in you. That you're not just, if you were a victim, you're not just what somebody who violated you left you to be. That does not what defines you. And that Christ heals you today. That Christ has come to give you life and life more abundant. So forgetting our past and remembering our past will categorize in two different ways. What Biblically, what we can take from this is we are to forget the things that hinder us from making forward steps of obedience and faith. 
What are the things that hinder you from taking forward steps of hindering, that hinder you from faith and obedience? Those are the things that we want to go, look, that's not me. My old life, that's not me. My testimony, I want to be able to say, there's, there's a lot of things I'm ashamed of personally in my own life. And I want to go, that's not me. That was, that was, that was sinful lifestyle. That was um, before I knew the Lord, and I'm ashamed of that. And I, I can't let that define me. And at the same time, our past success, we don't just get to, to gloat about our past achievements as if somehow in the past that, that makes it better for us just to coast right now. But we get to, we get to remember things, and we, we remember those things that move us towards the goal of knowing Christ, of being obedient in faith. We forget the things that hinder that. Those things that are hindering you from moving forward, we can forget about those things and put those in the past and let them be in the past. Amen? And lastly, lastly, there's a mind, mindset change. We begin to, we have a different mindset as we, as we train. When Paul talks about training and he's talking about having a goal, he, he goes, you have to change your mindset, right? Many of you just raised your hand about training for a race. Many of you train, have trained for a sporting event. Many of you have trained for something. Many of you have trained to take a test. And you begin to change your mindset. You begin to think differently. That our minds, the, the other places, Paul will say that we need to take our thoughts captive. It's probably a good word for us this day and age, right, church? To take our thoughts captive. Everything that pops up on social media probably shouldn't write what we've just thought about and how we'd want to respond. Probably should think that through. Um, and Pastor Ron, he always says, it's probably a good idea to not respond on social media at the end of a night if there's a wine glass near you. <laughs> if you've been drinking wine and you've been hanging out and you're getting mad and you're reading the newspaper and you're reading the news and you got CNN on and Fox News, probably not a good time to type whatever your thoughts are out on social media. Just wise words from Sage Pastor Ron, who will be back next week. Um, Paul will go on to say that there are for our mind, that we do not conform to any, any longer to the patterns of this world, but our mind is being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's what Paul tells us, that the mindset change that happens as believers. We've got to begin to think different, that we have, that we're single-minded, that we're focused on what the Lord is doing. And this is how I'll end this, similar to last week, because most of us, church, we don't, we don't need taught anything new. Our level of knowledge far surpasses our level of obedience. Our level of knowledge and what we know about God far surpasses our level of obedience. The things that the Lord is calling us to, the way that the Lord is calling us to live our life, like for most of us, we know. For most of us, we know what it's like to have a relationship, that we must talk to somebody, that Christ wants to talk to you, that Christ, Christ wants to have a conversation with you. He doesn't want it to just be some stale commute every day. Christ, Christ wants to know your concerns for your finances. Christ wants to know who your enemies are. Regularly, I, to love my enemies, I have to name those enemies and be like, God, these ones, these ones are difficult. These ones, I know you love them, uh, and that's great. I don't. I don't even like them. 
Uh, so Christ wants to be in our relationship. There, in, in order to have a relationship, you've got you to gotta talk to him. Furthermore, what is being told here in a mindset shift, that, that Christ isn't just some area of our life. He's not just some compartment that happens on Sunday morning as this is our Sunday morning ritual but that Christ wants to be in every area of your life. That, that he wants to be in your finances, that he wants to be in your relationships, that he wants to be in, in the career that you pick. He wants to be in your next steps, that Christ wants to be centered on your life, that he cares about that you're struggling with your kids, that he cares about that you're struggling with your career path, your job, that Christ, he, he's centered around everything. That like Paul, that we, that the, this one thing that Christ has made us our own, that's the one thing that we, that we are building on this foundation, that we belong to him. Being Christ-centered helps us to not be self-centered. Church, as we grow, the more that we are Christ-centered, it helps us to not be self-centered. As the, the old saying goes, that humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking about yourself less. That everything doesn't revolve around us. That there's this hurting world that you are a light to. That as we are centered and we, are, we, are, we have a target, we're straining towards, towards God. And we're, we're all going to fail. But it's the idea of, that we're stumbling towards grace. That we're stumbling towards Christ. And lastly, that we, we have a direction. There's a, there's a book that you'll hear me reference from one of my favorite pastors that has now gone on to be in eternity with Jesus, uh, uh, Eugene Peterson. And he wrote a book, uh, Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And, and that, the idea that we just continue to be faithful day in and day out. And how many of us know that most of us don't wake up and set PRs, personal records, most of us don't set up, wake up, and we just go, every single day is a new PR day. Every single day is more awesome than yesterday. But every day we wake up, and we can take one more step forward. Even if yesterday was three steps back, we take one more step towards the goal. That we are not just a long obedience in the same direction, but we're a long obedience in the right direction. That we're doing it in community. That we're together as a church. That we're moving towards Christ. That we... We are, we, are, uh, we are overwhelmed by the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and that he has made us his own. Will you pray with me, church? Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, that you've given it to us, Lord, as, as a gift, that it it would examine us that when we open up your word, we don't just read it like a textbook. We don't just examine Greek words or small portions, but, Lord, that we allow for the whole thing to shape us. Jesus, would you take what we've heard, Lord, and put it in our hearts and our minds, and, and Lord, would it, would it be transforming our lives? Lord, we don't want to come here on Sunday morning and be the same. Lord, we want to come here and, and be transformed to be, to be more like you. And 
getting you isn't just a stepping stone to better things, but you are the better thing. You are the means to the end, and you are the end. And God, we come here, and we, we just want you. Jesus, would you help all of us to just shape our whole entire life around you? Jesus, would you be more real, Lord, for those who are, are hesitant today, who are examining the claims of Christ. Lord, would you be more real in their life? Lord, would you be speaking to them? Would you um, make yourself known, Lord? Lord, we just come before you and we submit our worship to you. We come with our songs, with our offerings, and with, with the word, Lord, and we just come before you. We just say thank you for making us your own. Thank you, Jesus, for making us your own. In your good name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.